the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hope you have a great weekend. Headed into the weekend, everybody. And uh, in a few moments, we'll get an update from John Schlafly, the Schlafly column, excuse me, the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Go comes out every... Um, Every week on uh, townhall.com and also available at phyllisschlafly.com. John and Andy Schlafly do that column. We'll get an update from him. He's writing on the debt ceiling fight. And then we'll have a conversation with a professor. I'm looking forward to this. I've talked to him offline preparing for the interview. A professor of uh, criminology, criminology at... um, at John Jay College, John Jay College up in New York City, and his name is Barry Latzer. He wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal, Wall Street Journal, pretty friendly towards the immigration question, but covering the uh, onslaught. I call it the onslaught, the great onslaught of 2023, uh, kind of an invasion, not kind of an invasion, actually, of our country, but I call it the onslaught. And um, and the Wall Street Journal wants to be a soft on immigration, they want to be soft on build the wall. They think it's better for the economy. I disagree. Barry Latzer, a professor, I think he probably leans more liberal on this topic of the wall and immigration, but he has a perspective on why the immigrant communities from 120 years ago were assimilating, which is interesting enough, in my opinion, that's one of the differences. I don't think that we're, I think when you came to America 120 years ago, you were assimilated faster because you went to the schools and the churches and part of the community that was really pro-America. I hate to use my own uh, uh, show uh, title. And uh, today you're not, Uh, you're more isolated. Now that may be, and we'll talk to him about this, what people said back then, too, what I just said there. But we'll see. We'll see. And uh, and also, he's got an interesting theory, um, not so much a theory, an argument. He makes an argument that as people in communities get more wealthy, meaning they get out of poverty, not that they get rich, but that they get out of poverty, get into the lower class, lower middle class, middle class, violent crime diminishes dramatically because it's too costly to the community and to the individuals. So a very interesting guy, Barry Latzer. We'll talk with Professor Latzer in a moment. But first, what you need to know, hey, look, it's all about immigration right now. Finally, coverage of immigration. Finally, the stations, Fox News especially, is covering it now. The reason they're covering it is it's tragic. The reason it's cover they're covering it is that the images are are unbelievable to see them they're more than i know happily the images are not of people dying there's not people swimming the rio grande and drowning that thank god i didn't want nobody should want to see that but the images are so startling in the in the size and scope and what you need to know i've honed this now what you need to know is what kind of nation not only invites you to break their laws to come but demands that you lie. In other words, America's greatness, see if you can follow me on this. This is important to me. America's greatness is that we have freedom of religion. It's true, but that we have a Judeo-Christian ethic sort of overlaying our community. And so the law, the rule of law, 
and the property rights we have and our constitution, along with the Judeo-Christian set of values, made it so that you you wanted to and therefore would rely on a man's word. His word was his contract, and his contract was enforceable. In other parts of the world, a world might makes right is the number one thing, not honorable and honor and you could say well might makes right in america too sometimes but in the history of this country for 250 plus years it has generally been that most of the country can be honorable and when they're not honorable when they break a contract commit a fraud mistreat someone in a negligent way they could be held liable in courts what you need to know is it feels like we're losing that in our schools in our communities but here's the real trick devastating, evil, evil thing that these people from around the world who have been advertised to come to America, what you need to know is they've told them to come to America, but first lie, not first swear allegiance to America, not first swear allegiance to the Judeo-Christian ethic, not first uh, that, that binds us together, not first be honorable and commit to being honorable, though you may stumble and fall along the way as we're all sinners. None of that. First, do a lie. Do a lie. First, lie. When you come, before you even enter our country and get a job or meet people or anything, you must first lie. Lie about what? Lie about your status. You have to say that you're eligible for this kind of of, of legal protection, and you have to lie. And once you lie, you're in. You're in. And you won't, it won't really be enforced against you. Certainly we won't prosecute the lie, but we won't even really enforce the, the fact that you end up in the system. You'll just be left. Well, the reports are that the people are getting told, you know, well, you're in the system now. You're going to have a hearing uh, in Minneapolis in, in two and a half years. Now, I don't believe that. I have to say it's a little too, it's a little too, as they say, on the nose. I'm not sure I buy it. I'm not sure it's accurate reporting, but it is simply true. We know that people are given six months or a year to report to an immigration hearing and they don't show. And there's no real penalty and there's no way to track them and nobody's going to bother. And the fact is, what you need to know is not only is it bad to have a border that's wide open and makes the country look up and go, why don't we have laws that are obeyed? Why do we have a Congress and a presidency? Why don't they do things that are supposed to be correct and righteous and real? Not only is that a problem, what you need to know is we're making we're making a, a community of liars out of the people coming. If you cared about someone's well-being, call it their soul. If you cared about their soul, you wouldn't make them lie. You wouldn't make their first act, not the Pledge of Allegiance, not an oath of office, not an oath to the Constitution, not even a uh, a pledge to uh, abide by the law, nothing except a lie. First lie, and then come on down. Devastating devastating in the history of the country they will write about this they will write about this occurrence for a long time it's a disaster and i think i think most americans know it so that's what you need to know we'll take a break we'll come back john schlafly and then professor barry latzer here on the ed martin's excuse me here on ed martin's pro america report back in a moment (laughs) 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with John Schlafly. This week's column, uh, John Schlafly and his brother Andy, they they do a uh, weekly column over at townhall.com. It airs it views initially, and then um, it is uh, available over uh, on phyllisschlafly.com. 21 states stand against militant transgenders. All right, John, what do we got going here? Now, I, I saw the Tennessee law. Tennessee got involved. I didn't know so many other states were stepping up. What uh, What's happening here? What What's your sense? Maybe maybe this way. Is as the tide turning against these places or are we are these uh, actions or is this really red state, blue state sort of uh, separation? Well, uh, it's red states. It's happening in uh, in states in re- state legislatures where Republicans have a majority and even their several states where Republicans have the legislature and the Democrats have the governorship. So they, the, in a couple of states, the legislature has managed to overturn the governor's veto. But so far, we're 21, and there's still more coming. North Carolina is still to come, for example. And uh, But Texas is a big one, as we note in the column, because Texas's biennial legislature is coming to a close. And... Um, about two weeks uh, right. at the end of May, and right. and uh, the bill that passed the state Senate is has been stalled in the state house, and it needs to move so that Texas can join the other 21 states. So that's where we are. And when I say join the other states, to do I mean to do what? Well, to do what is to set limits to the transgender movement, the insanity, really, the fantasy. Uh, which could include everything from protecting uh, girls' sports in schools uh, to limiting or prohibiting uh, medical procedures which are irreversible on young people, right? Uh, which has been going on behind closed doors and without anyone knowing about it, and even to protect, you know, to stop this notion where pe- where teachers and others are being punished for not using somebody's preferred pronoun. I mean, that's ridiculous. We can't have that. And yet, so there's a variety of provisions that have popped up in different states in one way or another, um, which, uh, you know, the liberals say, uh, the liberals, you know, they describe that as transgender people being targeted. You know, that's the wrong way to look at it. Nobody's targeting transgender people. There are what we're doing though is protecting the ninety nine point nine percent of people who um from having their lives uh basically disrupted by a tiny, tiny handful of troubled people who are basically seeking to remake all society in their image. And that's what's going on here. It's a typical typical liberal uh, process. You find a so-called victim group, and then everyone else is the oppressor, and everyone else has to be silenced and change their behavior in order to, you know, accommodate a handful of, of disgruntled, protesters. Um, And if they don't do that, they're bigots. We've seen this happen again and again and again, and the transgender movement is just the latest in that progressive movement. And that's how I see it anyway. 
John, um, did you? It feels like the mo- mo- momentum moved on this, um, meaning uh, that more and more regular Americans said, "Hey, uh, this is enough's enough." Now, I know you're mostly describing red states, but you know, for example, RFK Jr. is running for president now as a Democrat, obviously, and he's ha- put out a bunch of policy positions um, and has had close to twenty percent in an early polling that were supportive of him. But he is actually, and you you allude to this in your column, you and uh, your brother Andy Schlafly, um, he's he's got got more of a position he's got a position that's more a red state position and and you know um <clears throat> i think rfk jr probably is pretty bad on things like judges I, you know i imagine he's going to pick judges that are uh more liberal probably bad on life issues and some of these things but on this one he's very publicly able to do that are we are we seeing anything that makes you think the momentum shifting i you know i i often think back and the 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 battle that you you and I are most familiar with, at least in terms of understanding it and reading history, was the ERA, and everybody was for the ERA for a while until people started to be against it, and then you know you got some momentum in both parties saying this is a bad idea. Are, are, do you see anything that makes you think that you're, you're there's momentum that some sane Democrats are willing to oppose this, and it could really move? Well, I mean, we'll see how many people uh, line up behind RFK Jr. now that he's showing so well in the polls. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, let's let's not pretend that Robert Kennedy Jr. is anything other than a liberal Democrat, uh, right. but right. he's of, of the kind, you know, like the Kennedy family. Um, you know, some of your older listeners may remember back in the 60s uh, when, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're somewhat sensible, I would say. And, uh, and of course, uh, RFK Jr. has built quite a strong following, a movement. Once he took on the issue of protecting uh, uh, medical choice in the area of vaccines against the power of big pharma. Mm-hmm. He was on that, as you know, well before COVID. And when COVID came, he was well positioned as to be the most prominent person to. Uh, criticized Dr. Fauci. He was criticizing Dr. Fauci before, you know, many of us were willing to do that and good yeah. for him. And he came out with a best-selling book, uh, which exposed a lot about Dr. Fauci before COVID, right. which, uh, which depicted him as a, you know, he's, we talk about the deep state now. Well, that, you know, that term really fits him to a T as far as it concerns uh, the health establishment. Yeah. You know, uh, I, and I saw Robert RFK Jr. Uh, uh, address the question. He had, he had been well-known against, he had been a well-known critic of vaccines before uh, this, you know, child vaccines and, and to the, to the detriment, I suppose, of, of his reputation in the sense that they all, they made him sound like a nut, you know, no vaccinations and all. And, you know, he talked about that, John, just to tell you, it was very impressive and very persuasive. He said, Look, I, I don't know for sure that those childhood vaccinations are bad. I just know that there's a correlation. We have lots of them and there's kids that are sicker. And, and this was the key thing. And the same corruption that they did during COVID, they did back then, which is to say they gave the pharma, they gave pharma immunity from liability. And therefore they didn't do the tests because you couldn't sue yeah. them for not doing the tests. And his point was, we're trusting our kids to get vaccinations, dozens of them, when pharma is, you know, immune from lawsuits. And I tell you, John, most parents 
would look hear that and say that that guy's and his answer, of course, is don't let pharma be in charge and make the government actually uh, demand that there be testing, you know, and find out, find out within some meaningful way. Well, that's right. And, you know, the covid vaccines to this day have not been approved right. by the FDA as safe right. and effective. Right. And, but the one but since, you know, now that we've had, I don't know, 100 million you know, the test was to roll it out and have everybody take it. And that was going to be the test. Right. You know, basically, we're all guinea pigs. But what we've learned is that there's there's no value in there's no value in vaccinating children or young people. All of that, I think it was fair to say, was wrong from the get go. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can make an argument for elderly people, um, but uh, not for young people. John, John, I want to jump. I want to jump in here, though, because I'm going to run out of time. I need to ask you this question about um, I don't want to talk about the uh, CNN town hall with uh, President Trump. I I think you and I have shared shared offline, but the Biden administration and the the swampiness of what's come out, the Biden crime family, you know, you and I and, and, you know, um, a lot of different folks have criticized as the size and scope of government has increased you realize that more and more people are benefiting from the proximity to power. That's inevitable. I mean, that's a, you set up a pot of money and you say there's lots of things to do and you end up with the Carnahan family getting over a hundred million dollars in windmill tax credits or wind farm tax credits. And yet you can say it's But what the Biden crime family, what the, what the coverage that came out, what the specifics are, it doesn't even look like they pretended. I, I never thought the Carnahan's cared about windmills and they were just the, the front for moving money in and out. The Bidens just moved money in and out of bank accounts. It looks like, I mean, I, and, and so my question, I talked about this yesterday on the program. Do you think this will stick? Well, if the media talks about it, well, I guess you might say if the media decides it's time for Joe to go, <laughs> oh, I that's, see. that's really the test. Right. You know, do the Democrats and the media feel that Joe needs to go? I mean, they, they, we're not there yet. It could happen. Um, but um, oh, everyone's afraid of, you know, let's face it, if Joe goes, then we have Kamala and everyone's afraid of her. Yeah. Even yeah. in the Democrats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, yeah, that, that's uh, you're you're right on that, though. That's exactly I think you're right. All right, John, I got to run. John Schlafly, everybody. Thank you, John. Again, his column this week. It's over at uh, townhall.com. It is where it originates, but it's also archived. phyllisschlafly.com. 21 states stand against militant transgenders. You'll see John and Andy move through uh, the, the states that are actually protecting uh, families, protecting the definition of sex and what's going on, stopping these transgender movements. Uh, it's a good piece. So check that out there. And I will post it up on social media also. Uh, thanks, John. We'll take a break. Uh, we will be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. I'm very uh, grateful to our next guest. Uh, uh, Dr. Barry Latzer is um, uh, not only a uh, professor of criminal justice and a uh, well, professor, but he's also a lawyer. And he's uh, got a new book. It's called The Myth of Overpunishment, a defense of the American justice system and 
a proposal to reduce incarceration while protecting the public. And I have to say, smile when I say this, Professor, my 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 old boss and my mentor, Phyllis Schlafly, she used to often tell people, I often tell authors, great that you diagnosed the problem, but then you got to tell me what you think we should do, right? I mean, and mm-hmm. so I'm glad that uh, in your uh, 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 book you did this. So first, let's let's um, let's pause. You've got a piece in the Wall Street Journal. This yes. isn't the first migrant crisis. It seems mm-hmm. we've seen the images now for going on a day or so. We've seen the hysteria uh, on all sides, right? And I think most people at this point are sort of not, they're not numb to it, but they've just, it, it, all sides is hysteria. I have been one of them talking about it for, actually for months that we were headed towards a crisis that, you know, almost was being planned for, um, but was still going to be tough to manage. So tell us a little bit about your piece and then about where what you see when you look at history and then look at today. Uh First off, Ed, I'm delighted to be with you. And uh, I wrote this piece uh, in in just a couple of hours because I was inspired by the journal's article saying that they were putting migrants in the big cities <laughs> in right. in police stations. Right. And I had wrote a book a few years back uh, called The Roots of Violent Crime in America, tracing crime way back to the late 18th century. And I remembered that the police departments in big cities put up migrants in in the late 18th century. This was before the days that, that police were really limited to just law enforcement and right. traffic control and right. that sort of thing, you know. They had them doing social welfare stuff, checking on right. boilers, uh, taking care of lost children, uh, hmm. all, all sorts of things. Right. So, the big reform was that police would focus on crime control and on traffic problems. And and Teddy Roosevelt was big on this. And when he became commissioner of police in New York, he said, no, you can't take migrants in anymore. That's, you know, not an appropriate function for police. You're supposed to be doing crime control. Huh. Oh, I don't know what happened to these poor devils who who were out in the bitter cold in New York. But anyway, up until then, the police were taking them in and the the conditions were pretty horrific. And you could see I I included a picture uh, in in the uh, in the article, which they were able to uh, to uh, reprint. Mm -hmm. And uh, the picture shows these guys with filthy feet laying all over the floor and right. and laying near some pot-bellied stove in in one of the precinct houses uh, in New York. And uh, so uh, Jacob Reese, who was probably one of the first photojournalists in in American history, maybe in world history, made pictures of these people. Hmm. Hmm. And and I was and and it's it's passed its uh, you know copyright protection. Of oh, course. I see. Oh, so you could put it out there, huh? Yeah, we could uh, put it up. And 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 one of the guys in the uh, art department at the Journal uh, found this terrific uh, uh, print of it, and uh, we ran that too. And when you look closely at it, boy, it's. Uh, Pretty disturbing to see these. Uh, uh, we're, these ta- guys. we're talking with, again with uh, Professor uh, Barry Latzer uh, over uh, Professor Criminal Justice, John Jay College of Criminal Justice, and author. Uh, he mentioned a number of books. Um, the piece that ran the Wall Street Journal, which you refer to. Here's the thing. I think I think we agree on this. Towards the end of your piece, because one of the things you're describing is. When you came 120 years ago, when you came to, in this case, New York, these these uh, immigrants 
they they were I, I, forcibly is the wrong word, but they were pushed into certain places. Uh, a picture in these cases, a police station, probably we'd say ethnic enclaves, right? You went down to X church that was predominantly the Italian American or Italians. Sure. And then you went there or you went to Y area where all the Irish were. Um, and I mean, I went up, I was in Philadelphia yesterday and I was driving. I got knocked, I got pushed off the road by the automated um, traffic controller, you know, telling me to get off and where I went. Weaving through down by the the river, there was a church. I saw it just about two stories high, and I drove over to see it. And it was just a front of a, a building, but it was um, I think it was Lords. And mm. now it was now it was Hispanic, right? Now it was I'm not yeah. sure which community. But when I looked, read the yeah. thing, it was you know said it was uh, founded by the uh, you know Italian uh, uh, community um, that had come predominantly from north of Milan or something like that, right? So mm. so mm. the different one of the differences, and, and maybe it's not a difference. Maybe if you come to America right now, you will um, get to a place where you're uh, assimilating. But even in a police station in in 1896, mm-hmm. I feel like you were assimilating into America. Whereas in, right now, you're you're asked to come in, and then you're sent someplace, or you're 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 allowed to come in. You're sent someplace, and I'm not sure the assimilation happens. Am I overreading that? I mean, this is your kind of you're the academic. It, it, it feels different. But is it really different? I'm not sure it's that different. I mean, you know, the immigrants who come in now, of course, uh, tend to cluster right. in, with their with their countrymen. Uh, those are the ones who tell them, you know, come on over, you can get a good job here. So, you know, they call it the push-pull factors. So that's one of the pull factors is your, your countrymen tell you, uh, oh, you can get work here, you can make money, and if you're uh, lucky, uh, your kids could be successful. Uh, usually, the you know, the first ones to come over uh, barely get by, especially because of their poor English and, and, and lack of skills. So, you know, back then, the problem was they came over, they had nothing, and there just wasn't enough housing for them. That, that was the problem. They right. simply, there weren't enough, they were building tenements like crazy in New York, but it wasn't enough. By the way, just a week or so ago, I went to my old neighborhood in the Bronx. Uh-huh. I took my, I took my kid. <laughs> <laughs> and her boyfriend and I said to him, "I'm going to show you the original tenement uh, museum." Wow. So, so this was an old Jewish area when I was there. I came out of that that kind of atmosphere, and and now it, it's all uh, Dominican. It's mm-hmm. uh, totally changed. No surprise to me, of course. These things never stay the same. People move up the social ladder and they move out of the old neighborhoods. So. The area was actually pretty similar to what it had been. I was quite amazed because because I'm a geezer and this was 65 years uh, right. uh, time past. Right. Quite a few things were the same. There was the same public school, were the same. There was the same park that I played in. Even the curb we chiseled as kids. So we played a game called curveball. I found a I found the same curb at huh. sixty five <laughs> years well, later. You should be arrested for defacing, <laughs> or de- you know, for the yeah, that's one of those uh, broken windows crimes. I, that's I right. knew it. I knew that's we had now. Uh, that's at right. The end- and no statute. <laughs> no statute of liberta- uh, limitations. Yeah, limitations. Trump there you found go. Out, well, you right. just confessed it. You just confessed it. Now, uh, uh, now, <laughs> professor, the last paragraph of your of your um of your piece clearly poverty and homelessness along with corrupt and abusive police a huge and growing immigrant population with little english or skills and overcrowded slums with disease don't always produce high crime 
Yes. So first, that that you're 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 saying we had all those factors in 1890s yes. into the t- 1900s, and it was stable. This is amazing. I mean, when I was doing the writing of this, I was totally amazed, especially since starting 1893, you had this big depression right, on top right, of it, right? Right, right. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And, yep. And crime, I mean, just compare the, the homicide numbers between then and, and the 70s and 1970s and, and, and 1980s. I mean, there's no comparison, right? So there's a message here, and the message is obviously that all of these adversities, as we call them, right, don't yeah. necessarily produce a lot of violent crime. Something else has to be involved. It's part of the story, right. but it ain't the whole story because otherwise crime would be much higher back then. I mean, this was like a petri dish for for criminality, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and I don't know whether I don't know where I'm going to end up with this now as I say this because I'm the question I'm going to ask you, but I think I think I feel it, so I'll tell you. Um, when you describe uh, policing. In 1890, let's say 1890, you'd say mm. the guy that was the the beat cop and the and the police that were there, they were. I, and I this is what I mean about where I'm going to end up. They were halfway social workers. I mean, they were actually half a priest. They were half a social director. They were probably I don't mean it to be sure half a mobster, but they were probably doing something, you know, running the numbers or something like that. All and now the progress was to sort of. Tech, you know, the technological movement was to give everybody a now you're not going to be a, you know, I, I mean, you go back and say like the, that first or second generation. I, I always think of Edward Stratemeyer, who was uh, a great he did Nancy Drew books, all those books. But his family mm. all ran uh, in Elizabeth, New Jersey, where my families are my family's from. He, they ran they ran um, a, a, a bunch of different like newsstands, basically. But I remember mm. reading somewhere that he said. By the time I was 15, I had already been trained as an accountant, a salesman, and a, uh, and a, um, a, I think he said longshoreman, but meaning working, lifting hmm. boxes. You used yeah. to have to do everything because yeah. if you ran a corner store, you did everything. You were an accountant too. Now yeah. one group's an accountant, one group's a lawyer, one group's the, uh, uh, you know, whatever, and one group's the law enforcement, one group's the compliance, one group. And somehow that, that parsing out, the carving up looks like progress because you can be better at accounting than I am. But and then therefore advise me. But somehow it took away this connectiveness. Am I, I I'm I'm overdoing it a bit, but it feels right. Well, I certainly wouldn't want to say those cops were like social workers. They had okay. to do these things. Okay. <laughs> okay. They yeah. had to do them. But I don't know how much they really liked doing them. But what <laughs> okay. they did like doing is whacking someone over the head who who, who sassed them. And right. remember, before they had the uh, uh, communication system, the modern technology Cops were on their own when they were on the streets. Right, so right. they, uh, you know, they, they could be beaten up. There was right. not much uh, help. The cop had to be able to navigate his way in these tough uh, communities and tough neighborhoods. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't call them social workers, but they did have these social responsibilities placed on them, which reformers like TR said, uh, you know, are inappropriate. We don't we don't need that. And and the, the cops were pretty rough in those days. I right. Mean, the, right. You know, one of them famously said, you know, there's more law in the end of this nightstick than there is in the Supreme Court. Right. So right. They, right. Were, right. they were a rough, tough 
bunch. And by the way, it was an Irish monopoly, you know, the Irish. I, well, that's what I was just going to say. It, was, it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't Italian-Americans or it wasn't the Jewish-Americans. No. It was the uh, no. Irish, right? Yeah, the, was- Irish, the Italians went into uh, construction, sanitation work, barbering, jobs like that because the Italians, the Irish wouldn't let them become cops. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that was it in those days. That's how the system worked. But, you know, they all did assimilate. I mean, who talks about Irish crime now, really, right? right? That's right. Or right. even Italian. You may see some old mafia movie and, and right. you know, start talking about it. But, I mean, really, right. those days are over. So what's yeah. happened there? Yeah. My argument is... There was cultural support for violence when they were poor. But as soon as they move up the ladder, Ed, as soon as they become more affluent, then violence and violent crime is self-defeating. I mean, you lose everything. You lose your job, your family, your wife. You lose Mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. So people who are affluent, and I don't mean you have to be rich, right? I mean, just, you know, moving up the ladder a bit, right? Yeah, They're not going to do that stuff. And we know that. And and incidentally, I'm very optimistic that the new generation of of immigrants and the African Americans who are sort of like immigrants at the turn of the century, because they didn't really get their rights till after Mm the 1960s. Mm-hmm. I'm very optimistic that all of those groups are going to move up the ladder and then their violent crime is going to be a matter of history. Mm-hmm. I may not live long enough to see right, that, right, Ed, right. but, yeah. but yeah. I think uh, it's going to happen. Uh, our our guest again is uh, Professor Barry Latzer. Um, his his book, uh, his article is this isn't the first migrant crisis uh, over at The Wall Street Journal. I'll put it up on social media. I don't I don't want to miss out on a final comment on your newest book. So yes. the myth of over the myth of overpunishment. Yes. So it does feel like and, and I, look, I'm a conservative, but it feels like I'm saying more and more like the the system seems to have really grinded people up a bit. You know, that that that, that, that you know, and, and probably, you know, if you could if you were you could go back to myself, 25 years ago one of my liberal friends would say you ought to have paid attention here now we're talking about the dr- the war on drugs or or one of these things but it does feel like there's been uh that that was a solution and there's too many people in jail and it's longer terms but you you, you say defense of the american justice system but what is the what is the, what is the way you reduce incarceration and protect the public i mean i don't know that the the trump era uh um cares act Got much of that done? I don't know. I mean, what's your sense? Yeah. yeah. Okay. First point is this. The yep. punishment is not as harsh as people think. Right. Let me just give you one fact, just so you understand the system. And that's my point of this book. You want to reform the system? It's going to change. I have no doubt about it. Hopefully, it'll change for the better. You want to reform the system? You need to know how the system works. Here's a point. People who are released from prison serve less than two years on average, Hmm. less than two years on average. The only ones who really serve a long time are murderers. Even a rapist, the median time served 4.2 years. So the, the time served is the key to this. You have to see how much time prisoners actually serve. And it is not as harsh as you think. And the people who are in there, they've done serious crimes. So I start with that premise. And then I say, you know what? Everyone's going to be released. 80% of all prisoners do not serve their full sentences. 80%. Right. right. Everyone's going to be released. And when they're released, Ed, over 80% of them get arrested again for another crime. So my argument is, 
let's use our technology. Let's wire them up, put ankle bracelets on them, and let's discourage them from doing additional crime. Mm. This helps them rehabilitate, reintegrate. It reduces crime. It keeps them out of prison and saves money. So mm. it's win-win all around. It's not a panacea. It's not perfect. Right, right. They could tear the thing off and go and try and murder their ex-wife anyway. Right, right. Okay. I can't do yeah. everything about everything. <laughs> right. But right. it's an advance. Yeah. I like the idea. I, I, listen, I'm going to, uh, we're talking again, Professor uh, Barry Latzker, uh, Latzer, uh, over at, uh, John Jay uh, College. Uh, I'll have you back on again. I'm going to look a little closer at your book. I was glad to talk about your, uh, your column, your essay over in the Wall Street Journal. This isn't the first migrant crisis. Thank you very much uh, for your time. I'm out of time. So I've got to run. Uh, we'll have okay, you back yeah. again. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks very much. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting topic. I tell my listeners have heard me talk. There's a lot to talk about on criminal justice. I think people are not understanding it as they decide they're going to make grand statements on what to do. Sounds like Professor Latzer is giving us uh, that context. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, Ed Martin. Aided by desires to attract attention, hordes of children are declaring an interest in being transgender. Not long ago, it was reported that several fifth graders told their teacher that they wanted to become transgender. And when the teacher asked the Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital for advice, its response was to affirm the behavior without suggesting that the parents be informed. Some politicians may be wary of jumping into this fray, but not Donald Trump. At one campaign stop in Davenport, Iowa, he frankly said, What they are teaching in schools today is insane. I will bring parental rights back into our school system. Trump vowed to cut off federal funding to public schools that push the liberal agenda. Trump and nearly all Republicans have denounced the unfairness of biological boys invading girls' sports, shattering girls' records, and sometimes even causing physical injury to girls in contact sports. More is at stake than merely the integrity of girls' sports, however. Transgender operations inflict lifelong harm on children, and no ethical consent can be given for this. Banning biological boys from girls' sports would stem some of the motivation, as competition in school sports is intense with pride and college scholarships hanging in the balance. Billions of taxpayer dollars are flowing to the medical universities that are willing to take the money and perform operations and treatments to a claim by liberals who see this as a way to accomplish goals that the late Phyllis Schlafly warned us against 50 years ago. Social media applauds those on TikTok and elsewhere who announce with a dance video or photos that they suddenly self-identify with the opposite sex. Obviously, the deck is stacked in favor of the moral depravity of child transgenderism. However, what sets the conservative movement apart from other political factions is a willingness to stare down the impossible odds favoring the narrative machine and mobilize the grassroots to achieve real victory. We've done it before, and we should do it again to protect our children from the transgender cult. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. 
we encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Just got a couple of minutes to finish up. Uh, let me finish up by encouraging you all to visit phyllisschlafly.com, phyllisschlafly.com. And I want to, in particular, point you to the uh, what's called the Education Reporter. Okay, the education reporter is for, I don't know, 45 years. I'd have to look up for sure. Uh, a, a website used to, I mean, now it's a, now it's an online presence. It used to be, um, that Phyllis Schlafly published it as a mailed piece. Now it's online and the May 2021 Ed Reporter. It's fantastic. Sue Kunstman is our editor of this. And I just want to encourage you, if you want to get up to speed, not just on the hot button issues of education, which are big. There's lots of them. There's lots of hot button education issues right now. But also um, check out uh, the uh, issues that, with some some depth. Uh, and by that, I mean, again, I'm not bad, not bad mouth on the hot button issues, but you know, there's a lot of things from CRT. That's a big deal. Abstinence education is a big deal. You know, looking at critical race theory, uh, and who is doing things on that, pushing back, how they're pushing back. There's a lot happening. There's a lot happening. A lot of different groups uh, are looking into it. A lot of, uh, there's a, uh, uh, from in St. Louis, so recent reports on Rockwood school districts. There's a group called Parents Defending Education. Um, and, uh, the, uh, that that's a group that's referenced in there that uh is not um is not uh it, it it's deceptive you see that and you think one thing you wonder what else is going on so parents groups uh, are important but it's also important to understand what's going on um and i wanted to encourage you cuz people ask me about education issues the education reporter go to phyllisschlafly.com there's a link right there on the main page you link to the education reporter well worth your time. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Let me say thank you to Noah Dingley, our great producer, as well as uh, to uh, Ryan Hyde, our associate producer. Thanks to all of you. We'll be back Monday. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.